Across America and around the world, famous vintners and favorite destinations. We share the stories behind the wines. Welcome to Vintage, hosted by the voice of wine, Brian Bushlack. Every May, we celebrate Oregon Wine Month by touring the wine trails of this great state. It's a unique wine region, diverse and very independent. At Winderley, Bill Sweat and Donna Morris are extremely intentional about what they're doing with their wines and their vineyards. It's all about what's going into the bottle and, just as importantly, what's not. We've paid several visits to Winderley over the past 10 years, celebrating their wines, their passion, and their story. But this time, we focus on their stewardship of the land in the Dundee Hills and their biodynamic farming practices. Winderly Vineyards and Winery, the second Oregon winery and fourth globally to receive B Corp certification. We'll let Bill tell you more about that and why he and Donna decided to make it official and become certified biodynamic instead of just talking about it. You know, Winderley was originally planted in 1974, uh, Meredith Mitchell in 1988. For the most part, both were very gently farmed, although some synthetic chemistry was used on the farms. Don and I just really believe in the importance of organic and biodynamic farming, of using things on the vineyard that come from the earth and are being returned to the earth. We feel like it's a much more sustainable way to farm in the long run. You know, by doing this, we improve our soil fertility with compost and by planting cover crops and mowing them down. And in the long run, the soil gets healthier. We get better microbial activity. We get higher water holding capacity and retention. And the vines are healthier. They have access to all the nutrients that they need. When we bought Winderly, we had a visible lens of phylloxera. Uh, phylloxera is a root louse, which is a member of the aphid family, and which um, is particularly devastating to grapevines, although it attacks all kinds of plants. And so uh, we wanted to find a way to save those vines. Because we were just starting out, what everyone tells you is you should just rip those vines out and replant because you don't need them right now. And by the time you do need them, the new vines will be in production. But those were vines planted in 75 and 76, and we felt like they were the legacy of this property, and we wanted to try to keep them going as much as long as possible. So I just started asking around uh, of people, who do you know who has phylloxera and who feels like they're able to slow the phylloxera down or stop it with their farming? And I was given three names over and over and over again. Uh, that was Mike Etzel at Beaufrere, Rudy Marchese at Montenor, and Doug Tunnell at Brickhouse. And the thing they all had in common is they were farming biodynamic. And that's the thing that really clued us into this way of farming and got us interested in it. And so that was our introduction. And we learned a lot about it over the last, this was back in 2007, 2008. We've learned a lot since then. The term biodynamic gets thrown around a lot. Okay. So I want to talk about that you know you chose biodynamic um also certified organic why did you choose to go in that direction i mean obviously you you asked around a little bit here but it was a big decision right yeah it was a very big decision we had started farming organic in 2008 here's what i like about farming biodynamic it is a whole farm ethos rudolf steiner who is the philosophical founder of biodynamics wrote a series of essays and one of the things he spoke about at length is the fact that the farm is a totality. It's a kind of a living organism, and it exists in the world. So it's affected by everything under the ground and everything in the cosmos. And I liked that about farming biodynamic 
over organic. So we have the same restrictions in biodynamic farming that we have in organic. We're not allowed to use any synthetic chemistry. But organic farming is a crop system. So I can farm some crops organic and some crops not and get my organic crops certified. I can't do that with biodynamic. I have to farm the whole property as a biodynamic farm. So that was very appealing to us. And it came about because you may know that after World War One. All these munitions manufacturers had all this uh, nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium that they were using to make bombs and had nothing. The war was over, so they had no market for it. So they discovered that they were also good fertilizers. And so they started making fertilizers. And a lot of people converted to what we refer to as NPK farming. And this group of farmers in Germany, and a part of Germany, which is now in Poland, were discovering that their farms were becoming less and less fertile over time. And so they went to Rudolf Steiner and asked if he could help. He was a naturalist and a philosopher and uh, just a pretty amazing Renaissance kind of guy. And so what he did is, is create a series of eight lectures, which we call the Agricultural Course in Biodynamics. And he invited people to attend. And his goal was to not only bring people back to the natural way of farming that their grandparents used, but also to introduce to them some processes that would make them more engaged in the farming and acknowledge the fact that the farm is part of a larger universe. And that was the kind of the genesis of biodynamic farming. It's all very compelling to us. So to be clear here, we have organic, then we have biodynamic. And again, that, that term, that word gets thrown around a lot in the wine industry. And then you have certified biodynamic. Mm -hmm. And so really from a consumer standpoint, that's what we should be looking for is certified biodynamic because there's obviously a, the bar is raised there, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, there are a lot of folks out there who farm biodynamic and organic and they're great farmers and they're great winemakers. And I, I'm not disparaging any of them with these comments. We struggled for a long time over whether or not to get certified. It is a lot of work to get certified, and there's some expense that's involved with it. And so for the longest time, as I said, we started farming biodynamic in '09, and we became certified in 2015. For the longest time, we decided we would just do the right thing. And whether or not we were certified was not really the important part of the equation. What we ultimately decided is that our customers couldn't really know whether or not we were doing what we claimed to do unless an independent agency came in and certified us, inspected us, and reviewed all of our documentation, etc. And so that was the thing that really caused us to take the idea of certifying seriously and to put the work into the application process and the inspection, etc. We want our customers to know that when we say something that they can believe it and we want that transparency that comes with inspection and i want to really drill down on that because that means that everything that goes from the vineyard into the bottle is all certified so it doesn't mean that the property certified and you source fruit from another vineyard that's not and you either blend it or whatever process everything from farm to table, I guess, if you will, is certified, correct? It is. So, and I will make, I will make some differentiation here. So all of the wines from our state vineyard are certified. 
Uh, Meredith Mitchell Vineyard just received certification this year. And so the wine from that vineyard will in the future also be certified, but it's not yet. We buy fruit from vineyards that are not certified biodynamic. And we, we are unable to put the biodynamic label on, on those wines. We do, however, when the fruit is brought into the winery, all the wine is treated as if it's biodynamic fruit. So we manage all the wine, all the fruit, regardless of its source, as if it's biodynamic. Ultimately, our goal is to increase the number of biodynamic wines we make. And hopefully, we'll be able to persuade some other folks to farm the way we farm. Now, I think you mentioned, too, that you are no longer tilling the soil which is interesting to me because, you know, going back to ancient times, we've seen hieroglyphics of, peop- of you know, <laughs> of farmers tilling their soil. And so you would think, I mean, okay, well, wh- what's the deal with that? Why don't you do that? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and again, one, something we've been spending a lot of time thinking about, we for several years did not till and then we tilled again. We worked with a biodynamic consultant named Philippe Armagnier, who was really instrumental in getting us on the right path. And Philippe believed in tilling. He believed it opened the soils up to the energy in the cosmos. I think that's a valid claim. For us, I came to this because organic and biodynamic tools are not as long-lasting as synthetic tools are. So I run a tractor on my vineyard about twice as often as a farmer who farms using synthetic chemistry. So that has an impact on my carbon footprint. And I wanted to try to figure out if I could reduce that somehow with my property. And the the low-hanging fruit for me was tilling. And so we did a lot of research on it. There's some great resources out there. There's a Marin Carbon Project, everyone can look up, and which has done some amazing work in this area. And I wanted to see what impact not tilling would have, not only on the soils, but also on the health of my grapevines. And I discovered this. There will be some transition period. So we may, over the first few years, see the vines adapting. But over time, the soil will become healthier. It'll have higher organic matter in it. It'll have higher microbial activity. It'll have better water holding capacity. And the vines will then become healthier because they have more access to nutrients, water, etc. And they'll be a little more self-sustainable that way. And I think that will be a very positive thing. At the same time, soils that aren't tilled and where we're really focused on the organic matter in the soil are better at carbon sequestration than soils that are tilled. And so not only will we have reduced the number of tractor passes we make, but the soils themselves will actually be capturing more carbon than if we tilled them. From Tuscany to the terroir of Oregon, this is Vintage with the voice of wine, Brian Bushlag. What else do you have planned in these vineyards? Yeah, uh, great question. So we're always trying to figure out how we can be better farmers. The challenge with our home vineyard, Winterly Vineyard, is that it's a small property. It's 20 acres, and it's planted boundary to boundary with grapevines. So it's a monoculture. And in farming, that's not a positive thing. And in biodynamics especially, where Steiner thought about a biodynamic farm as being a totality, he envisioned a farm that grew multiple crops and one that had animals on it. And that there would be a system that was self-perpetuating, self-nurturing, that you wouldn't have to bring things from outside the farm onto the farm property. So as you can see, there are no animals on this vineyard. 
And that's kind of a problem for us. So we're trying to figure out how we can bring sheep onto the vineyard. We don't have a place to care for them ourselves, but there are some shepherds out there who are looking for ways to graze their their sheep. And so we're trying to work something out where uh, a shepherd would bring a sheep onto the vineyard periodically and uh, help us to uh, graze the vineyard. And we would get the benefit of a more diverse, more natural cover crop. Plants respond differently when they're grazed than when they're mowed. Sheep naturally compost the vineyard as they work through it. And so we'll bring that kind of life force onto the vineyard, which I think will be a big advantage for us. And I'm guessing they don't eat the grapes. Sheep can be trained not to eat grapes, but um, I think they would eat grapes, which is why we would bring them on periodically. <laughs> so this time of year, you know, if you if you look out now, we have a great cover crop and a lot of really beautiful mustard. This would be, a, you know, maybe a good time to bring them on where they could eat the cover crop and the mustard. We're just getting bud break now, so you know, in next week may not be a great time to bring them on because they might decide to uh, eat some of our fresh young shoots. So it it definitely is a timing question. And talk about the cover crop of mustard. Uh, What does that do and, and why do you choose mustard? Mustard is a is beautiful to start with. So we, you know, having beauty on the vineyard is not a bad thing. But as you can see, it's a plant that grows quite vigorously, it, and it's quite large. It creates a lot of plant mass. And so, one of the main reasons we like to have it is when we do mow it down, we're creating a lot of organic material that will decompose and create new soil. It does that very effectively. It, uh, it will add a little nitrogen back to the soil as well. But it's mostly about creating biomass. Okay. Now, I believe Winterly is one of 16 certified B Corp wineries in the world. Uh, talk about B Corp, because that's a wholly different thing beyond the vineyard, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I will uh, I'll put a plug in for my other Oregon B Corp wineries, because half the B Corp wineries in the world are in Oregon. And so we have a lot of friends in this area. A to Z, Rex Hill was the first B Corp winery in the world. We were, and the first in Oregon. Uh, Winderly was the second in Oregon and the fourth in the world. And we came to the B Corp certification for similar reasons that we certified our farming and winemaking. And that is, we want to be a certain kind of employer. And there was no way to really gauge whether or not we were doing the things we hoped to be doing in a way that was a value that dif- differentiated us it created a better place for people to work and so we started reading about b corps oh, probably 2013 ish or so and B Corp is short for benefit corporation their slogan is people using business as a force for good And the idea is that running a business isn't just about profit. It's about your governance, your employment practices, your community relations, your philanthropy, in addition to how we farm and how we make wine, environmental impact of those activities. The B Corp practice, the certification process, allows us to assess our own practices against other great corporations who are trying to improve. And the organization that that did all the work to establish B Corps as an entity, B Lab, keeps raising the bar on us. So they won't let us get comfortable doing what we're doing today. In order to stay at our same level, we have to get better. And so that's been a great, a great experience for us. 
And it's also great because our staff is intimately involved in this process with us. They're very engaged in our being a B Corp, and, um, and they are great at recommending ways that we can be better at what we're doing. This is a lot of work. So you're in Oregon. We've got a beautiful view here. <laughs> you could just slap Oregon, Dundee Hills on a bottle of wine and, and run all over the country and probably sell a lot of wine. Why do you go to all this trouble to be sustainable, to be certified, to be a B Corp? B Corps have a declaration of interdependence or something like that. And the final uh, statement, I think, is is really appropriate to this question. And it is uh, to do so requires that we act with the understanding that we are dependent upon one another and thus responsible for each other and future generations. So, you know, if you think about biodynamic farming and about our, the role of the farmer and the owner on the vineyard, we're here for a speck of time. This farm, we got it from somebody else and we will bequeath it to somebody else. And the same is true for this business. The, the, we will bequeath this to somebody else. Our employees will go on to work for other people. They will have other parts of their lives. We want to be a positive influence in every part of that and recognize that, that we're just temporary here. And we, we have an ability to make this a great experience or a not so great experience and to try to do the former. What's your advice to other wineries, vineyards, uh, not only in Oregon, but Washington, California, and around the world, who are hearing this and maybe trending that way, but haven't taken the leap? What's your advice based on the fact you've done it? Uh, and I know that's a broad question, but and where would you start? Yeah, so... In the farming and winemaking aspect, I would definitely reach out to Demeter USA. I'm actually working on a subcommittee with them now to try to streamline the application and certification process so it's a little less onerous, and also to try to find ways to reduce the fees so it's less expensive. And I think that will help more vineyards and wineries to pursue biodynamic certification. But reach out to Demeter USA. If you go on to, if you just Google B Corporation, and uh, you'll find the B Corporation or B-Lab website, they have a 30-minute assessment you can take. It's really quick, and you don't need a lot of documentation at your fingertips. Uh, you can do this mostly from what's in your head. And you can pretty quickly figure out how close you'll come to being certified as a B Corp in that half-hour assessment. And if it feels like something you want to pursue, reach out to B-Lab. I would also say we are very happy to talk to anybody who's interested in learning more about any of this. And people are welcome to call me or send me an email, uh, billetwinderly.com or 503-554-5900. We'd be happy to help them in any way we can. You obviously have a lot of experience with this, and you gain experience by making lots of mistakes, mm. <laughs> right? So, I mean, if you had it to do all over again, what maybe wouldn't you do along this path? Are there things that you did that you regret that maybe you wasted time or money on? Yeah, great, great question. I, You know, uh, this will sound uh, like I'm kind of uh, turning the question inside out, but I think I probably would not have waited so long to get biodynamic certified. I think I, I would have done it in 2009, 2010, rather than waiting till 2015. I think we, we lost an opportunity there. Each time an inspector comes onto our property, we learn more about our farming and our winemaking. And so we lost the benefit of those three or four or five years where we could have been certified and learning from this process. So I think that's probably the, you know, the one thing I would change. Flip the script 
we talk about wineries, vineyards around the world in becoming certified, B Corp, etc. From a consumer standpoint, there's an education process here, isn't there? I mean, you travel the country selling wine, marketing wine, networking, and there's a lot of education that needs to be done around these topics, right? There is. It's it's not as daunting as it seems, although biodynamics is a very esoteric and some would say quasi-spiritual practice of farming and winemaking. So there's something to learn there. But the basics of it can be learned in a relatively short period of time. I have been, the last several months, reaching out to my distributors and trying to get in front of them and to some of our customers in the trade, both at restaurants and in retail, to try to do more education around biodynamic farming and winemaking, what that means and how it differentiates us. And it's something you know we can do a pretty good job of in... 20 to 30 minutes. So it's not something that takes hours and hours and hours. Although if you have an interest, you could spend your life learning about this. But I think we can get the basics across to people in 20 minutes or so. You and Don have been at this for, what, over a decade now, right? We celebrated 10 years, what, was it a couple years ago, right? So you travel around the country. Um, What's different about that now than 10 years ago? There are some great things. The awareness of Oregon and the awareness of the quality of Oregon wines is much higher now than it was when we first started. 2019 will be our 14th harvest, and we first started selling wine in the marketplace in 2008. And so that's definitely a big change. The On the challenge side, there are a lot more wineries selling wine in this country now than there were when we first started, and there are a lot fewer distributors to help us sell those wines. And so that's creating a little bit of a pinch point. But it's all about getting out and telling your story in a way that's compelling to people, and I suppose first and foremost about making a delicious bottle of wine. And speaking of, I'd be remiss without talking about wine during this interview uh, to finish it off. Oregon and Pinot Noir, obviously the flagship, uh, but I know you make an amazing Chardonnay as well. And uh, it's, I think, an exciting time from a consumer standpoint, and that's where I sit to see what's happening with the Oregon industry. Uh, of course, well-known for the Pinot Noir, but to see the Chardonnay come on and, and show so well, is it's really it's, it's exciting. It's incredibly exciting. When Don and I first uh, started making wine in 2006, we were surprised that uh, Chardonnay wasn't the white grape of Oregon. It was Pinot Gris. And we ultimately uh, decided to make Chardonnay anyway, uh, starting with the 2007 vintage. Now, Chardonnay has real momentum in Oregon. There are a lot of amazing wineries that are making Chardonnay. And I think some of the best Chardonnay being made in this country is, is coming out of Oregon. And so we're, there's more and more awareness, I think, in the world about the Chardonnay that's made in Oregon. I will say, uh, you know, the challenge for us with consumers is that Chardonnay is an incredibly versatile grape. Uh, you can make it in places that are cooler than Oregon, and you can make it in places that are warmer than Napa. But Chardonnay makes a very different style of wine, depending upon where, where it is. And most American consumers are more accustomed to the warm climate version of Chardonnay. And and some of them, people who don't like Chardonnay uh, that we run into seem to have palate fatigue for that particular style. And so we keep trying to explain to them what the difference is with cool climate Chardonnay. Anyone who's ever had a white burgundy gets that. And so we're easily able to show them what the differences are. Uh, but it's, you know, you were speaking about education before, and Chardonnay is one of those things we need to educate people about in order to create some momentum for it. The trade gets it. 
you know, people in restaurants and, and in wine shops understand it and, and have been great supporters of Oregon Chardonnay. And now we just need to help them build momentum among consumers for Chardonnay in Oregon. Bill Sweat with Donna Morris, owners of Winderly. And in addition to B Corp and Biodynamics, they make damn good wine, which is obviously important. And by the way, this winery is perched on a sweeping panoramic setting in the Dundee Hills and definitely worth a visit on your next trip to Oregon. Vintage is a presentation of Feedback Media. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.